We are continuing in the chronological life of Jesus, and we are, are uh, in the Thursday night of the last, uh, uh, the last full day of his life. Uh, so he's going to be be crucified on Friday. Now, between where we are now and the crucifixion, there's still a lot that's going to take place. The trial is very interesting. The things that take place, but we are in the Last Supper experience. So this is Thursday night, uh, 30 A.D. April of 30 A.D. Uh, And so let's look at at, uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And the passage we're going to read today is about the passage where Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. That's where where this took place. John chapter 13, verse 2. During the supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garment and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Now John 13, verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him and said, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, not all of you. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Okay, so let's let's move on up to verse 2 again. And uh, he talks about how the setting that was taking place. And we're going to cover verse uh, 2 through 4 in detail in just a moment. But verse 4 in particular, it says that he got up from the supper... He laid his garments aside and taking a towel, he girded himself about. So remember what's happening. So we already talked about this last week. There are are several uh, uh, stages into this feast. It was very unusual. Foot washing does not occur in the Passover. There's a hand washing twice, but not a foot washing. Foot washing, though, was very common in that culture where they they would come into the house and just at the house... There would be a slave there or the people would wash their own feet, take off their sandals, wash the dust off their feet and then go into the house because at the time the roads were very dusty. And if you go to Israel today, very dusty streets, particularly in the dry season because they have a season of rain that runs from uh, uh, about, uh, about October to March where they get a lot of rain and then there's no rain for the whole rest of the year. It's very much like being in, in, in say, uh, California where they'll have a season of rain and then, then without rain. So, foot washing was not uncommon, but it was very unusual at a Passover feast. 
says in verse 5, Then he poured water in a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Simon Peter was probably probably uh, uh, two people to his right. And how could I know that? Because it, the Scriptures talk about how John was right in front of him, the one right in front of him, because they would lean on their left, eat with their right hand. That was the tradition. And then they would turn for a certain part of the Passover feast. We went over the different requirements last week. And then they turned back. Because Peter, it says, is going to motion to John later in the supper. And so probably on his, just, just behind him was Judas. He probably worked his way on around, finally got to Peter. And Peter says to him, you can't wash my feet. I mean, you're the Lord. I mean, this is not a, a bad thing to say. I mean, the Lord's going to come and wash your feet. It's like, uh-uh, how about I wash your feet? And Jesus says to him, you know, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And so Simon, in his typical gregarious way, says, then not just my feet, how about my hands and my head too? And, and you can understand where he's coming from. If the Lord says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me, Peter says, then wash my head and my hands. And Jesus is again giving a teaching. He says, he says uh, uh, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Public baths were very common in, the, in, in, in Israel at that time, as it was throughout all of, all of the Roman Empire. They didn't have baths in the home. They'd take it at a public bath, and then they'd walk back to the house, and there they had to rewash their feet, so Jesus is saying, if you've accepted the Lord, if you've received the Messiah as Peter had, if you've received the Messiah, you don't need to be totally cleansed. You just need a foot washing. And this is very much like the, the, the Word of God tells us in 1 John, where he says, he says that we are to confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, He's speaking this to believers as believers, we confess our sins to God. It's not that we are once again repenting and asking for salvation over again. It's just that the common dust of this world, which gets on us because our hearts and our minds are corrupt, we ask God to forgive us. And this is what he's talking about. You only need your feet clean. He says, but by the way, not all of you here are clean. And in his saying it, he was giving a hint as to the one who is going to betray him. And we will see over the coming weeks, hint after hint that Jesus is giving as to who specifically it was who was going to betray him. But here is the Master and the Lord taking off his garments, putting a towel, girding himself about as if he were a slave and washing people's feet. Very unusual in that. Now, I have known Christians to have foot washing ceremonies where they wash each other's feet. I particularly don't like that because I'm not used to people washing my feet. It's not something common in our culture. So when somebody says, you know, we're going to have a foot washing thing and we're going to wash each other's feet, I'm like, you know, that's, that's really not part of our culture. If you want to do that, that's fine. I'm, I'd rather not come that night. And, and there are other things that you can do for me. You want, to, you want to come and mow my lawn? I mean, come and mow my lawn. You want to do something for me? Do it. But not foot washing, because, but this in their culture was a very common thing. It made sense for them to do this. It would be like you saying, I'd like to, to saying to Shuin, I'd like to uh, mop the kitchen floor after the meal. I mean, that is something that is common. That's something that you would do. And, and uh, uh, so Jesus 
he takes this position, and then after he's done, it says that he goes back to the table in verse 12. He puts his garments back on. He goes back to the table. He reclines again, and he says, Do you know what I've done to you? Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. So Jesus did this as an example of service to one another. Christian life is very much tied to service to one another. This is what he calls us to do. He says, I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Hear that? If you know these things, it's not enough. It is not enough to know the Word of God. You are blessed if you do it. The blessing comes in doing the Word of God, not in just knowing it. He says you are blessed if you do it. Then you will be blessed. Very much is service tied to walking with the Lord. You are blessed if you do it. Not if you just appreciate that it's a good thing to do, but you do it. You are blessed. There's where the blessing occurs. Turn back to to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, um, Jesus is speaking in a portion, and He says in verse 26, John chapter 12, verse 26, If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me, Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Service is tied even to spiritual blessing and honor from the Father. Service is tied to this. You know, sometimes people don't want to serve because they think, well, people are going to think it's it's somewhat below me. No, people won't think that. I have found, so when I'm working out in, in the rec center at, 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 uh, on campus, that a lot of times those, those little paper towels that are used for scrubbing down equipment are, are around, and, and I come in early in the morning before the cleaning crew has gotten through, and as I'm going by, I pick these things up and throw it out. Not a big deal. But did you know what happens? Do you think people that think, look at me and they say, oh, he must be the janitor. Do you think they think that? No. Do I look like a janitor? No. And, and, and uh, they actually think more of me for doing it. When we serve, actually people will think more of you. When you get a job, when you have a career, if you learn to serve other people, you will be promoted more quickly. You say, okay, I'll do that when I get a job. You won't. You're lying. Unless you do it now. Unless you start practicing that now, in some way you start serving others, then you learn this and you begin to be brought up. You are blessed when you do it. The blessing comes when you do it. Let's turn back to John chapter 13. Now, one of the sub-themes of the Gospel according to John is the sub-theme of the contrast of light and darkness. And what John does is amazing, the way he writes. He he juxtaposes sentences of darkness of light, 
of darkness, of light. Boom, 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 right next to each other. And you'd be like, how about structuring a paragraph properly? Will you talk about one topic, darkness, and then the next paragraph you can talk about light. No, boom, it's just sentence after sentence, and he, he just puts them back and forth. And what he's doing is he's comparing darkness and light throughout his entire gospel. So look, look in um, verse 2 of John chapter 13. During the supper, so remember, this is during the supper ceremony, during the supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Remember, it was before the supper feast, the night before when he was at Simon's house, that he left and he went, Judas went and he betrayed him to the leaders of Israel. He turned them over saying, what, uh, uh, he, he said, what will you give me? For, to turn him over to you. And then there was the, the 30 shekels of silver. And we talked about the deep meaning of the 30 shekels of silver. And then he talked about, uh, uh, so he made this deal. And it says Satan entered him at that point. This was not merely demon possession. This was Satan himself entered Judas. So what John does is he reminds us Satan already having entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son, uh, uh, Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So here is the betrayer. Here is the attack. It is right there in the face of Jesus is the attack. Next verse. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. You see that? Contrast, here is the betrayer. Satan has put it in his heart to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus calls upon what he knows to be true. All things have been put into his hands. Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all, given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He knew he was going back to God. How? On faith. He knew that he was going to return to God. Here is this attack, and here is the reality of what Jesus focuses on, not on the attack, but on who he is, what the Father has given him, and what is planned for him in light of the Father. And then the next verse. He got up from the supper... And he laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself. Lest any of us think that Jesus had a momentary lapse where he didn't remember who he was anymore. All of a sudden he thought he was a slave. And he should wash people's feet. And he just had a breakdown. No! Very clear-minded. Very clear-minded. He's not having a breakdown. He's not having an identity crisis. He knows very well, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God. What did He do? He served. Service comes by realization of who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ. We give of ourselves for others. If you are paid for your service, if you are paid for your service, it doesn't count. It doesn't count. If you are paid for your service, it doesn't count. That's your job that's expected of you. 
It's when you are going beyond and doing something for which you're not paid. Going beyond the call of duty. It may be in your job, but you're going beyond the call of what is normally expected of you. That's what people will recognize. If you are just meeting the standards of the job, you're not greatly recognized for that at all. In fact, uh, uh, um, I recently met a, 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 a former student who lost his job in these cutbacks in Houston. I said, tell me how your, your evaluations went. And he changed the subject. I said, tell me how your evaluations were. He says, met requirements. You know what met requirements means? It means that, boom, that's, the, that's just the bare minimum. It's when you go beyond that you'll retain your job. When you learn to do things that people would not normally do. When you stay the extra hour to do something or come in early to have things ready for other people, you think, nobody's going to know this. People will know. And God knows. You do this in the body of Christ. You serve in the body of Christ. Doing things that before you're ever even asked. You just do them. This is service. It is through recognition, our recognizing who we are in Christ that causes us to serve. If you think, if I think that, oh, that's below me, then you're really wrong. The Salvation Army used to have a policy. The Salvation Army is called the Salvation Army not because they pick up clothes from, from your house. It's called the Salvation Army because they used to be an army that would go out and preach the gospel. They would have a band that would march through cities and they would go systematically preaching the gospel. And, and it used to be, when you started with the Salvation Army, and there's a story of a very famous man that wanted to go and work for the Salvation Army, and he thought he'd be put in a great and high role. And he came in there, and the first job they had him do was clean the bathrooms. Because the Salvation Army understood this concept. Nothing is below you. Nothing is below you. If you're CEO of a startup company, let me warn you now, you clean the toilets. CEO of startup companies cleans toilets and the investors will love you because you recognize that you do whatever it takes to make the company excel. If the bathroom stopped up, just go in and do it. Don't waste money spending it on a plumber because with a startup company, you have to have a chokehold on the, on the finances and the investors will see it. When you learn to serve, if you think something is below you, you've got a wrong view of yourself. How about Jesus? You call me teacher and Lord, and so I am. I want you to do what I've done. I want you to do what I've done. What the Lord does is He comes to us and He builds us up in Him. And then He says, now I want you to go out and serve others. Jesus, well recognizing who He was, it says, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands. Everything was His. If, if, it was, if this was below anyone, it was below Jesus. Recognizing who He was, he, that He had come forth from God and He was going back to God. I mean, this is God come in the flesh. He got up from supper. He took off His robe. He put on a, a cloth around Him like a slave. And He went around with this towel girded around Himself. And he went to serve. I can tell, I can tell, who are the students that are going to excel in their careers and in life? I just watch how they serve. 
I just watch how they serve. If they're always sitting there and people are coming to serve me, I know it. I see it. And in my mind, boom, there's a category. When I see students that are willing to stand up and serve and week after week are doing something to serve others, I see it. You think that I see it and God doesn't see it? The rewarder of heaven and earth? If everything is come and feed me, I come to this church. Aren't I a really good Christian? I got up out of bed. Be proud of me. I came here. I'm not proud of you. This is your service. This is expected of you. Will you give something to serving the Lord? There are people that give their lives all the time for the Lord. I'm not proud of you just because you got up out of bed. Nor should you be proud of yourself. This is expected service. Now go and do something to help others. This is what He calls us to. I want you to turn to, uh, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to start reading. So, so this is the temptation of Jesus. So this is where Satan comes to Jesus. And he's tempting him. So we'll start reading from verse 1. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by, by the devil. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit led him to a place to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit allows things in our lives sometimes. And this is training ground. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. If you tell me, hey, you know, I, I, I skipped a meal, I fasted, I'm happy for you. But let me tell you something, that is child's play. That is absolute child's play. Go ahead and fast for five days and then see the work of God in your life and in your spirit. To skip a meal and call that fasting is really kindergarten. It really is. Go ahead and don't eat anything. Only drink water for five days. And you say, I would die. You will not die. You will not die. But God will get a hold of your spirit. Try it for three days. If you go on a three-day fast, then to fast for one day is a cinch. And let God, and just use that time to start praying. You say, well, i got a headache. I'm miserable. Persist. Jesus fasted 40 days. And you say, that's impossible. I have known men, I know two men, that every year they go on a 40-day fast. Every year. Now, they lose a lot of weight, but they just draw close to the Lord. Every year they go on a 40-day fast. I know two men that do that. And uh, so it can be done. He became hungry. And a tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. In other words, you're hungry? Grab it. Jesus said, but answered him and said, It is written. Jesus battled the enemy by quoting scriptures. Battle the enemy. That's a good lesson for us. Jesus battled the enemy not by using the own, his own, his own uh, um, intellect. But by quoting Scripture, go ahead, use your intellect to battle Satan. Remember, he was the shining star 
of God's creation. He's quite clever. Jesus used Scripture to battle Satan. He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are just eating bread and you don't have the Lord speaking into your life, you will be devoid of life. You don't just live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are too lazy to get up and spend time in the Word of God, you're not having the voice of God speak to you. You're only having your own mind. When the Lord begins to speak to you, that is where there is life. What is the source of your struggles? What is the source of your pain? You spend time in the Word of God and let the Word of God encourage you. It is equivalent to going without food for your body, going without the Word of God for your spirit, and you will become impoverished. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, here it again, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear, bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Look who's quoting Scripture. Satan. Satan is quoting Scripture against Jesus. Did you know what Satan did? If you go back and read that in, in uh, Psalm 91, I believe it's in, he stopped there because the next verse says, and he will tread upon the lion and the cobra. The, the, the young lion and the cobra, he will trample down. So Satan didn't want to quote that part. Selectively quoted one part. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus again battles Satan with the scriptures. So I'm not going to put my father to the test. I don't question his taking care of me. I don't need him to demonstrate something for me. You will see in scriptures where men would say, like Jacob, if you bring me back to this, then I will know that you... They will make deals with God. This is a very immature way. You don't see this with mature people in the Scriptures. They have faith and believe that God will care for them. This negotiating, if you do this for me, then I'll know. Like Gideon, let this sign happen, then I'll know. If you do this for me, then I'll know. You don't see this in other things. Maturity is believing that God is who He is. I don't have to put Him to the test. Now I want to focus in on this last test in verse 8. And again the devil came. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Again, Jesus quoted Scripture to battle the devil. This is why we keep our hearts and our minds in the Word of God. This book will not change. If you have become so intellectual that you think you are above this book, let me tell you something. Long after you are dead and gone, this book will remain. And the power of this book will remain. Long after you're gone. This book will change your life. This is different than any other book because God speaks through it. Jesus quotes this book. And He says, He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Satan says, I'll give you everything if you just fall down and worship Me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. 
It is not merely worship, it is service. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And only in that, Jesus is saying, will you be fulfilled. Only in worship and service of God will you be fulfilled. A woman will never be totally fulfilled by her husband, nor a husband by his wife, nor a, 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 a man by his girlfriend, or a, a girlfriend by her, 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 uh, her, her boyfriend. Never, never will you be totally fulfilled. Never will you be totally fulfilled in your work. Go ahead, try. Many people have. Throw yourself into your work. Give your life to your work. And see if it brings you fulfillment. I had a, a, a man to my home the other, the other day and he was talking about how, how uh, uh, they, they want to give um, uh, gays this, this right to marry. Thinking somehow this is going to now allay all their struggles. They can have legal marriage. It's not going to change. The struggles will not be allayed. If there's sexual disorders, they will not be allayed by this. Go ahead, let the world say it is okay for men and women to cohabitate. Go ahead, let the world say it. This will never fulfill you. It will make you more empty. It is only in the worship of God and in the service of Him that we will ever be fulfilled. You could have the whole world and you will never be fulfilled unless you learn to worship God and serve Him. In that, there is fulfillment. Because I worship God and I serve Him, I love my work. Because I worship God and serve Him, I love my wife. Because I am fulfilled primarily in Christ, in Him. And then He brings the satisfaction from all these other things. You will never know the innocence of what God said to Adam and Eve. God said of Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. You will never know that innocence unless you are in the confines of a properly functioning marriage. That is the only way you will know that innocence. Everything else is false and you will never be satisfied. And you will never be unashamed. Everything comes through the worship of God and serving Him only. Everything. We worship God and we serve Him. And in that There is fulfillment in life, in nothing else. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray for these young people today, that they would take hold of this word and never forget it. That only in the worship of God and the service of Him will they be satisfied. Father, I pray that you would move them to be diligent in studying the Scriptures, for indeed it is their life, as the Scriptures say. It is their life. For they live, not by bread alone, but by every word that is spoken by the mouth of God. Father, draw them into this, I pray thee. And Lord, I ask, for those here who do not know you, who have no understanding of what it is to worship God and serve Him only, who are trying to throw themselves into their education and into their careers, thinking that that will bring them happiness. Or women trying to throw themselves at a man, thinking that that will bring them happiness. Or a man toward a woman. Lord, I pray Thee that You would draw them into a place of salvation. 
that this very day they would pound their breast and say, Lord God, forgive me because I am a sinner. And that you'd come into their lives. Father, have mercy on them. Lord, your mercies upon these young people, I pray thee. Draw them close to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.